0: if I'm being completely honest. Um, but I hated the, the scrutiny of not being good, of like missing passes. Um, lots of my other interests too were queer coded. So I like to sew. Um, I, the two sports that I showed any kind of promise at were diving and figure skating. <laughs> uh, I was like enjoyed cooking and experimenting in the kitchen, and I got a good amount of like f- um, free reign to do that. And yet, somehow, very clearly, I got the message that like these are things you do at home. This cannot be like a visible part of your identity. That would be um, unacceptable because it doesn't fit into really neat gender lines. Um, And as I, you know, grew into adolescence, it was clear that one of my other interests was boys, guys, that I was indeed gay, and uh, that was gonna be a big problem in church and um, in life. The other thing is, I think I became really sensitive to threat. So, I've learned a lot about this as an educator, how um, like with trauma-informed pedagogies, you can understand like how kids' brains function when they perceive a threat. So there's a part of our brains that is just constantly working to perceive, is there a, like a threat in our midst? And to like initiate the fight or flight, please or appease responses. So my favorite is appeasing. <laughs> um, and I think that the threats were ambiguous, and that's partly what was like, confusing and also like, threatening. So for instance, with the same group of boys, several years later, um, Jesse had the idea that we should, we should play gay bashing. I have no idea where he got this idea. I don't know that any of us really understood what it was. And yet, like, as sixth graders, um, and we had no objects to bash it's just such an odd memory but also lodged in my memory because of like the potential threat behind it like could I be exposed in this moment and could I be subject to violence as I got older too there's the potential threats of like the loss of community so will this result in me being expelled from my church community my family how will my parents receive the news um, that I might be gay Um, so part of the way that I experienced all of this bodily was just like strong stress reactions that I kept really internal. So like pul- uh, like pulses through the roof, like labored breathing, um, just like a gnawing feeling in my stomach in situations where it felt like there was any kind of threat, um, So it was like a very visceral sort of like embodied way that i would sometimes experience if indeed it felt like there was a threat nearby think about the like key messages i was receiving from church at the time and so um one of those was that to like assert oneself was to be prideful and sinful and so It made it very comfortable to just kind of hide and make myself smaller and smaller and less visible. And another core message was that God's love was unconditional, but, (laughs) so it was actually conditional, right? Uh, That was provided that I not identify as gay and that I certainly, like, couldn't pursue a relationship. That would be, like, a bridge too far, for sure, and completely outside of God's love at that point. So... I responded in a couple of ways. One of them was just like policing my speech and my body language. So making sure that I wasn't gesticulating too much. Um, And also I remember avoiding words with S in it because that was one of the things that would like get me spotted for potentially being gay. I have this memory of um, walking down the hallway in eighth grade and I said something loudly and a kid mocked me and And I can't remember the specific words, but I remember thinking, like, I have been exposed. Um, You haven't been guarding yourself closely enough. You need to double down. So you, like, police yourself harder. Um, Mainly in an attempt to stay safe. Another way I responded was just trying to really sublimate a lot of feeling, specifically the feeling of anger and also desire. Um, Desire was also one of those things that was like really suspect in the more evangelical world that I grew up in. Um, And so in just trying to like ignore those things and just make them disappear, I thought that was going to be a way to make God happy and also complete, like please the the folks in my church network. And... um, So all of these things were true, and yet on the outside, I think to most people, I appeared really well-adjusted and happy and successful. So these images here are from my senior recital at the end of high school. So I did half a recital that was singing, half a recital that was piano. I studied piano for years and years. And I think it demonstrates how I was pretty capable at performing. But I can also see in my face... um, like anger under the surface and like uh, just sort of like hiding in general. So I can see myself like kind of checked out here and being like, I kind of hate this. I definitely hate all this attention, Uh, but I'm also going to keep smiling to make, uh, to accommodate folks around me. Um, And I I can also see in this expression, a kind of like, when is this going to be over? Get me out of here. So, a moment that should have felt really triumphant, and instead, I think, in some ways, was a triumph, in other ways, I hated. So, in many ways, this was like the beginning of a sort of bifurcated identity an interior one um, that was much more sensitive and um, ultimately deeply lonely, and a public identity that was really about keeping up appearances and um, pleasing people around me. And in some ways, I took this to pretty far extremes. So um, one of my undergrad degrees is in opera. Like soccer, I don't actually give a shit about opera. (laughs) If I'd had the choice, I probably would have studied like jazz or R and B or something like that. But it was so clear, especially in my family, that that was not serious music, uh, and so that was not good music, and so that wasn't like godly music. So the one option um, was opera. Um, And it also meant that this kind of brewing conflict internally about how am I to reconcile my sexual identity with my faith, like remained um, largely ignored until my early thirties, where it just uh, nearly bubbled over. So part of the way that we're framing this whole series is what are some of the things that, um, our experiences that were dismembering? And also what were some of the things that helped um, bring coherence to our identities? And so, There are a number I can draw from. I I think clear throughout this experience, uh, throughout my entire life, have been moments of closeness with God where I have been so aware of God's smile on me. Sometimes that was contingent. (laughs) Um, And yet I think there were these glimmers throughout of God's gentleness with me, uh, and his patience with me, while I navigated these things. Another practice ended up being coming out to people and just sharing my true self with more people, um, which triggered a lot of like the same stress reactions, <laughs> the like nausea, the um, elevated heart rate, all those kinds of things. And yet, you know you've probably heard that coming out is not like a one-time thing. There's like clear early memories of that happening, but then it just becomes something that you have to do almost constantly. Uh, And the net effect of that has been one of me um, being known by people and feeling increasing ease uh, in others' presence as I talk about that part of my identity. Um, another key difference, so I worshipped at Redeemer for the first 10 years that I was in New York City, and um, I remember learning the difference between self-pitying and repenting. And the thing that I realized is I had thought I was repenting as a good Christian would of my sin, of these secret desires. And what I realized is What I was doing was a lot more akin to groveling. That I wasn't apologizing for a particular thought or behavior, but instead, almost for existing. And so that was a really helpful key to kind of catch myself doing that and realize this doesn't match God's love to me. That... It's one thing to repent, to say, like, I'm not going to lie anymore, or I'm not going to fill in the blank, um, and another thing to have done this, uh, act of groveling, and so I think that was really restorative, um, in my relationship to God. Another odd one is that I was taking the one train, um, to church, I think, and, um, There was a gay couple on the train who were like laughing and they were making a good amount of noise and it uh registered someone's displeasure who then it was like kind of a hate incident on the one train and rather than feeling afraid of that moment it was a moment of like tapping into some fury and saying first of all you're hiding so much that no like you've never risked being in that position it's time to risk and also thinking like I won't just be a bystander. I'm going to get involved. Um, Something about that experience moved me Mm -hmm. out of a place of fear into more like right action. Um, So, oddly, that was a membering experience as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this was all forced. uh, There had been this time, there had been a season where I was sort of increasingly pushing down the anger and pushing down um, desire and hiding kind of came to a head and it, like it wasn't going to work anymore. Um, and not long after that, I met Ryan. Um, and so <laughs> it's beginning of like a sort of identity crisis where I was like, God, I, I don't know what to do. I thought I was being good by remaining single. I thought that's what you wanted from me. But there's this person who, by the way, I also made wait for like months and months while I figured myself out, (laughs) poor Ryan. Um, And ultimately, the experience of coming to an affirming theology, of entering into a relationship with him um, was something that made me feel known and seen by God in a way that I had never thought was possible. So, three, three specific practices come to mind as being things that have been um, ways of remembering me. The first is running, so I have a photo of that as well. Um, I avoided any kind of like physical anything where I would be like seen by anybody after soccer in elementary school. So I like defined myself as the opposite of an athlete. Um, And because of some friends, I started running and it just felt really good. Um, Awful, also awful for (laughs) a couple of weeks, let's be honest. It was also awful, Uh, but I've, basically run five to six times a week for the last like nearly a decade at this point Um, it's one of the things that gets me out of my head where i want to operate most of the time um, more fully into my body i have moments of running where it's just so deeply joyful where i'm so aware of god's love to me as i'm running so this is me Uh, this is my niece this is on 4th Avenue in Park Slope um, when I ran the New York City Marathon a couple years ago. So here she is giving me a cliff bar. So running has been one of those practices. I'm not going to talk about that a whole lot because Christine talked about that in hers. Um, but there's two others. One has been silence. Uh, I'm strongly other-referenced, which means that I'm really aware of what others are thinking and doing and seldomly aware of like what I want (laughs) or need or am feeling and so silence has been deeply clarifying to me to listen to God's voice first and to quiet the other voices including the imagined ones um, that surround me a lot of the time so in a little bit, we're going to have some time to, to practice silence. And part of my invitation to you during that time is to notice, is, discern, is to discern between the voices. Who is the, um, the voices that are accusing? <laughs> and who, who are the, what, who, whose is the voice that speaks belovedness mm-hmm. and blessing over you? And the other is... Um, remembering my baptism so this feels like a, <laughs> a strange turn but let me explain uh i think it all coheres uh a couple of years ago i read a book um called liturgy of the ordinary and so this is where the idea comes from it's the idea of waking up each morning and taking a moment to remember my baptism now, I have no memories of my baptism. I was baptized as an infant, couldn't tell you where, don't know by whom. I have no memory at all of being baptized. And so how can I remember it? One of the things I remember is that I don't remember, that God's grace to me is such that has nothing to do with any good that I would do or even my own agency. Um, So though I don't remember the trappings, It was a historical moment that I can remember. And you'll remember from Jesus' baptism that um, proclaimed over Jesus is the message, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. So to remember our baptism is to take a moment to just sit with this basic belovedness that comes before anything else in the day. Any other good that we would do to try to please others, including God? That's what all the groveling was about, was maybe if I make myself low enough, I'll be good enough for you. Um, but remembering that, that core belovedness. And it was such a surprise to me to learn in adulthood that baptism is a symbol of dying. That as you plung, are plunged into the water that's like you being buried and dying, and that, in emerging again, is being brought back to life. Um, You know, in traditions that practice infant baptism, it's no surprise that we don't focus on that language more of of dying and rising, and yet it's something that I find a tremendous comfort in, that um, there's this particular sign from early on in my life, It's a reminder that there is no good or evil that I can do that would either earn God's love or separate me from God's love. So that's what we're going to do. I want to give us a moment to um, enjoy a little silence and remember our baptisms, if you were indeed baptized. If you weren't, maybe you can just take a moment to... Um, Consider your belovedness to God. Can we advance one slide? Um, You know, something Aaron shared last week is how easy it is for our minds to wander when we have to sit in silence. And so this is often what I'll tell myself when I wake up in the morning uh, and remember my baptism. Is I'm clothed in Christ and beloved by God. So if you find your mind wandering and... Are struggling with the silence you might just keep returning to this phrase um, to repeat it to yourself um, as you sit with us so that is our practice tonight we'll take maybe five minutes to remember our baptisms to remember our belovedness
1: uh, and then i'll have us share a little bit